have two readings this afternoon. First reading is from Romans chapter 8, 1 to 25. Romans 8, 1 to 25. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, and although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I considered that suffering of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In our second reading, Isaiah 63, Isaiah 63, 7 to 14. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of a steadfast love. For he has said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their saviour. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Whereas he who brought them out, brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock. Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters between them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert. They did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest, So you led your people to make yourself a glorious name. So far the reading. I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open, particularly to Isaiah 63, as we'll be considering uh, how that uh, teaches us about the pattern of the Holy Spirit's work. And now turn with me to Lord's Day 20, Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, This can be found on page 29. And the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, at this portion we're going through uh, the Apostles' Creed, and we're dealing with the article that deals with the Holy Spirit. And it has one question with regard to our confession of faith in the Holy Spirit. And it says, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he, as well as the Father and the Son, is eternal God. Second, he has been given to me personally, so that by true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his blessings, comforts me, and remains with me forever. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this afternoon. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word which we can read. We're thankful, Heavenly Father, for the way in which you reveal to us uh, the pattern of the Spirit's work so that we might appreciate his labors as he works among us to unite us to Christ in faith and in redemption. 
but also directs us to live in sanctification and regulation, but assures us as well of the promise of of the goal of our life and the sureness of the rest that we shall have through Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that you would work in our hearts with your word this afternoon as well and call us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider God's word and, and the, the work of the Holy Spirit, it might be, seem a rather un, unusual place to start to go to the Old Testament with regard to the ministry of the Spirit. And that's why I asked you to keep your Bibles open, because there's, there's some particular things that God's word is revealing. But, but before we consider these, this pattern particularly of the Spirit's ministry of redemption, regulation, and rest in that pattern that is found in God's word, we need to address uh, some, some erroneous ideas that have crept into the church, and, and sometimes that can be very attractive to us. Uh, there exists among, amongst Christians a, a level of confusion about the character of the Holy Spirit's work particularly when it comes to the work in the Old Testament when Jesus says things like the the Spirit, or John says it in his gospel, that the Spirit hadn't been poured out yet at this time, anticipating the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And yet when we read through Isaiah, there's some tremendous realities that are, are identified with regard to the pattern of the Spirit's work. And things that, that as we, we read through Scripture, aren't necessarily identified as the Spirit's work, but the prophet here does identify them. And this helps us as well to, to deal with our confusion and the confusion that does exist and that has arisen. And it, it also comes from the popularity of, of uh, the charismatic movement or Pentecostal teaching uh, with regard to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that that, that becomes kind of the, the defining mark of the church, that, that the church begins with Pentecost. And, and it, it comes in our views of the Old Testament and the relationship to the New Testament. The Old Testament is, is regarded as a, a, an age of law in which God guided his people with the law. And the New Testament is the age of the Spirit in which he guides his people with the Spirit. And, and then there, there comes a, another idea about, about the character of the Spirit's work. And, and it, it comes with the idea that the, the Spirit's work is, is somewhat unpredictable. We, we don't know when it's going to happen or where it's going to happen. It's, it's independent of, of our anticipations or expectations. And, and sometimes the notion is that, that the more spontaneous uh, uh, happening or a, a response that is found that, that comes completely unplanned, it, it seems to be more spiritual, and, and it becomes attractive. And this is where we need to be careful, because what we confess is the Holy Spirit is God. And as God, he would have been part of that Trinitarian council in which God planned everything from the beginning of the world to its end, and the Spirit was engaged in that. And sadly, the, the, the problem with that erroneous thinking that, that the Old Testament wasn't about the Spirit and the New Testament is, and that the, the New Testament, we, we live much more spontaneous, less legally, and, and more spontaneously, is that it overlooks 
the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is where Scripture's teaching is helpful, that all three persons of the Trinity work according to the pattern that that we hear expressed by Isaiah in Isaiah 63. And that pattern is the the points that we're considering this afternoon. There's redemption, there's regulation, and there's rest. And I'd like us to think about the, the pattern and the development of the Spirit's work in this way. Redemption, regulation, and rest. Because that, too, is, is part of how the Spirit is working in us. We confess that he, he's been given to me uh, personally, so that by true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his blessings. That's the redemption character, that the Spirit is working to redeem us by making us share in Christ. But he comforts me. And part of that comfort is the regulation of my life according to God's word, according to God's guidance. And the rest He remains with me forever. There's a a Sabbath character of this rest that we always have, the Spirit with us, sustaining us. But let's consider this pattern as it's revealed to us in Isaiah 63. And as we consider this, the the first part of the Spirit's work is, is that of redemption. And we need to recognize that much of the Old Testament is written as a story. A story, a story of God's work. Um, this is part of the uh, character of their culture. They, they lived with stories. They, they didn't have books that they carried with them or had on the shelves in their libraries or in their homes. And so they told stories to remember their history. We do the same thing in, in our culture. We tell stories, stories like about Abel Tasman or Captain Cook or the Maori legends of traveling here by Waka from Polynesia. And, and we have these stories, and they, they help us understand what is going on in the world. Well, well the stories of the, the Old Testament reflect the work of God, and they reveal to us his work of salvation. And in the Old Testament, these writings are, are, are often, these stories focus on, on two significant events in the life of God's people. One was the story of Abraham, the story of God calling a man, and enabling him to produce a child. And the story of Abraham was formative for the life of God's people. Another story is the story of Moses, especially the Exodus and and the Passover and the giving of the law and the conquest of Canaan and all of these events, all of these stories that, that lived amongst God's people remind them of God's work. And we read about them in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it's this latter story, the story of Moses and and the exodus and and the deliverance of God's people uh, from their bondage in Egypt and the giving of the law at Sinai and then ultimately the conquest of Canaan that that Isaiah picks up on. And there are times in which he he works with, with these events and says, don't you see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was intimately active in these events. Now, reading through Genesis or Exodus or Deuteronomy, you would never hear the Spirit mentioned with them. And that's what we need to recognize, that just because the Spirit isn't mentioned in in the earlier parts of the story doesn't mean the Spirit wasn't active. 
And so let's consider this work, this, this story. And in this prophecy that Isaiah gives, in this prophecy, he, he identifies how the Holy Spirit relates and brings redemption to Israel. This is found in verse 9. Verse 9, as Israel was living under their bondage and all their afflictions, he was afflicted. That God considered what happened to his people as happening to himself. And the angel of his presence saved them in love and in his pity. He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And Isaiah says, don't you realize that this is the work of the Holy Spirit? What God was doing when he brought them out of Egypt, what God looked upon as he, he saw their bondage and their slavery to sin was the work of his Holy Spirit. Because notice in verse 10, but they rebelled and they grieved his Holy Spirit. That it was the Spirit that was doing that when Israel grumbled and complained against Moses and against God in the wilderness, this was something that attacked the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was engaged in their redemption, securing the promises that had been given to Abraham that, that 430 years after he had been called out of Ur of the Chaldees, God would give to his descendants the land of Canaan, securing that, that promise through the covenant head through Jesus Christ, which, which was the surety of that promise. And yet the Spirit was active. God was active. What God was doing in bringing Israel out of the land through the wilderness, was the work of the Holy Spirit in redemption. And that's the first step of the Spirit's work, of the pattern of the Spirit's work, that the Spirit is intimately involved in working with God's people to bring redemption to them, in applying the work of Jesus Christ, in applying the gospel of Jesus Christ in causing the promises that God had established for Jesus' sake to come to fruition. But then, then, the next step of the pattern of the Holy Spirit's work, and that step is found in regulation. And that comes in verses 11 and 12. You need to see that between verses 10 and 11, there is a change in time. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. A change in time. Not only is the redemption being spoken of as a pattern of the Spirit's work, but the rebellion of the people is a pattern of Israel's constant hard-heartedness. How they responded to that redemption as they held it at arm's length. And they said, we despise the ways of the Lord. And Isaiah prophesies that there's a time that will come when, when exiled Israel will long for redemption, and this will be their cry. Verse 11, they will remember what had happened, and they will cry out to the Lord, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters? Where is the work of the Holy Spirit? And here we need to recognize the, the wonder of what God was doing in Israel as he, he brought them out of Egypt and, and brought them into the wilderness, that he was, he was working in a way to regulate their life. And this was the work of the Holy Spirit, that Moses was, was trying to, to direct and to lead his people by the Holy Spirit in their midst. 
And God uses earthly rulers to accomplish that. Now turn with me for a moment to Numbers 11. Numbers 11. To see how how the Spirit was active in this way. Numbers 11, verses 14 through 18. This is right in the midst of their being set free, experiencing the redemption from Egypt, but they're needing to have their lives regulated. Because the people are becoming unruly. They're unruly because they're grumbling and complaining. They don't have enough to eat, and they're, they're complaining against Moses and his leadership. And Moses recognizes his weakness, and he says, I am not able to carry all this people alone, for the burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I have found favor, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. I mean, Moses is sick to death of these unruly Israelites, of their, their, their lack of awareness of what God is doing. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let, me take, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they will bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone and say to the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying who will give us meat to eat for it is better for us to live in Egypt therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat and they will eat it in abundance and they will eat it until it comes out of their nostrils God says but now that work of the Holy Spirit and that regulation of the Holy Spirit, how is it going to happen with, with God's people and their wilderness wandering? What is Isaiah prophesying? That there's going to raise up rulers who will accomplish that. And that's what happened with Moses. Moses says, I can't do this on my own. I need assistance with this. And God says, I'll take my spirit, my spirit which is on you, and I will bestow it upon the elders, and they shall regulate, and they shall lead, and they shall guide my people. This is the Spirit's work in leading the church. This is the way the Spirit is, is working among us today. This is what happens with Jesus when he, he breathes on his disciples in John 20, verse 22, that, that he bestows upon them the Spirit of Christ so that they're able to, to lead and guide the church. In Acts 2, verse 14, at Pentecost, the eleven stand up and, and they're, they're granted the gift of the Holy Spirit to speak and to, to call God's people to repentance, but also to believe that he is working amongst them, to call them to redemption, but also to change and direct their lives. But we also recognize from God's word, 1 Corinthians 14, that order in the church, that when everything is done decently and in good order, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, that is where the Spirit is active, regulating his life. And we need to see this in the ministry of the elders and the deacons among us, that this is one of the ways that the Spirit is regulating our lives. Acts 20, when Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesians, he says to the Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is the one who had made them overseers of the congregation. 
And so there's a regulation to their life in which people follow the leaders that God has appointed and placed in their midst to be faithful to him. And this, too, is part of the Spirit's ministry. The pattern of redemption, the pattern of regulation, and lastly, the result of the Spirit's redemption and regulation will be rest. This flows on in in Isaiah 63, verse 14. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. The security of the promise of the Lord is accomplished by this work of the Spirit's ministry. And this is rest with a purpose. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. The Spirit grants this rest from redemption through regulation to rest. Rest, you see, congregation, in Scripture, is not inactivity. It's not blobbing out and sitting down. It's an opportunity to enjoy and promote the glory of God's name. When Israel enjoyed the rest that God had secured in their entrance into the land of Canaan, they had to go and they had to fight the enemy. So too with us. And that is part of the Spirit's battle that he has called us to, to recognize the privilege of the pattern of his work. And Isaiah 63 reminds us of this. And and then we come to to Romans 1 and and just think, or excuse me, Romans 8, and just think of that pattern that that we've seen. There's there's the the redemption and and God leads his people out through the Holy Spirit and he puts his spirit and the people are hard-hearted and they rebel against that. They they refuse to have their their lives regulated by God. And Moses says, it's too much for me. And so so God appoints spiritual leaders over them to, to further regulate and direct their lives. And then ultimately they come to that rest. But notice how this pattern, this pattern of spirit's activity is unfolded in Romans 8. Just think of the big uh, development. So we see Romans 8 verses 1 through through 10, excuse me, 1 through 11, unfolding to us the, the wonder of redemption. Particularly in verses 9 and following, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Don't you see you've been redeemed? And the spirit is powerfully working according to this pattern to bring you to Christ and to cause you to live in him. But what does that mean then? There's going to be further regulation, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, to allow yourself to be led by the Spirit of God, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means like Israel in the wilderness. 
when their hard-heartedness was exposed, to look at the leaders and to see Moses is inadequate, but God puts his spirit on the other leaders, and we need to follow them. We need to listen to them. We need to heed what they're saying to us. We need to be regulated. To be regulated by the Spirit isn't just to be moved internally, but it's to appreciate the way that God is working among us. And what will be the result? Rest. Rest. What does Paul move to in verse 18? The sufferings in this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, and so too do we. And we cry out with groaning, because we have the Spirit. And we long for that day when rest will be restored. People of God, as we we consider this pattern of the Spirit's ministry, let me conclude with some applications. Some applications to to understand what we're getting at when we confess faith in the Holy Spirit. This pattern is fundamental to appreciating the Spirit's ministry. From redemption to regulation to rest. Remember the story of Israel? From Exodus, departure from Egypt, being set free in redemption, to Sinai to being placed under the law, to being placed under the leaders who would, who would uphold that law and direct according to that law, ultimately to the promised land. That's the pattern of the Spirit's work. But that's not only the pattern of the Spirit's work in the Old Testament, that's the pattern of our life in the church. God is calling us through the gospel to heed and to hear the work of Jesus Christ and to see it not only personally but also corporately that he has a a spiritual ministry within the church and the eldership and in the deacons to lead us and to guide us to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the promise? A rest and a communion with him. A recognition of the Spirit's work. Order and structure in God's word is not less spiritual than spontaneity and unplanned activities. That is not God's standard. That's a standard that we impose on God's word. Also recognize this is the pattern of the Christian life, that your life on a daily basis, in fellowship and communion with the triune God, needs to be directed by the Spirit in this way, as Romans 8 reminds us, to appreciate our redemption, to rejoice in our regulation, and to anticipate that rest that is promised and secured through the ministry of the Spirit. And lastly, as we proceed through the Apostles' Creed, we have a few articles that are remaining. And sometimes the accusation goes that Reformed Christians don't do a whole lot with the Holy Spirit. Because look at the Heidelberg Catechism, after all. The Holy Spirit only gets one article. Jesus Christ and and his ministry and the confession that we have in the Apostles' Creed has gone on for, for a number of Lord's Days. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, here too we need to recognize. The Spirit's ministry is not to focus on the Spirit, but to focus us on Christ. And the Spirit's ministry is something that happens in what we confess to take place in the Holy Catholic Church. That this, too, 
is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the communion of the saints is an expression of the, the Spirit's work among us. And the delight and the joy of the forgiveness of sins and the anticipation of the resurrection of the body and life everlasting is all part of the pattern of the Spirit's work among us. We don't need to think that, that other churches or, or those who are Pentecostal or charismatic have, have a better awareness of the Spirit's work. We need to appreciate what God says is the pattern of the Spirit's activity. To see that, not only in our lives personally, that he is the one who redeems, regulates, and provides rest. But that's what we have, and that's what we long for as the church of Jesus Christ as well. Why? Because this is God's guarantee of the certainty. We have the Spirit as that guarantee of the certainty of Christ's work among us. So as we conclude this afternoon, let us rejoice and let us continue to confess and see and long for the unfolding of the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen.